What's up? It's Sierra. Hey, it's Ebony. And, and welcome, welcome to the, the Real Play Podcast. All right. Well, welcome to the Real Play Podcast. I am Sierra. And my co-host here. I'm Ebony. Ebony. And today we have a very special guest, Dr. Joy Stevens. Hey, Joy. Hey, Sierra. How are you? Wonderful. You looking good? Thank you. Looking so relaxed? I am very relaxed today. Why are you so relaxed today? I went to yoga, part of my self-care. Yes, yes, yoga. Well, Joy, we have you here today because we want to talk about a very important subject, mental health. But before we start, let me introduce you to the people because I know you because we have been sister friends, sore friends, buddies, travel, travel Road homies dogs, yeah. all over the country. We haven't been out of the country yet. We need not to make yet, that happen not next. Yet. Barcelona. Anyway, um, yeah, so I'm gonna introduce you. Dr. Joy Stevens is a, a licensed psychologist. She relieves dang. She received her bachelor's. Y'all, I'm gonna get this together, but she received her bachelor's in psychology from the University of Dayton, her master's in mental health counseling from Purdue University, and her PhD, yes girl in counseling psychology from Indiana University with a minor in higher education in student affairs. She, serve, she currently serves as an associate director of mental health counseling at a college here in the beautiful state of Maryland. In addition, she provides therapy in a private practice where she works with millennials. Dr. Stevens is committed to multicultural counseling and strives to reduce the stigma attached to mental health services. Welcome, Dr. Stevens. Thank you. All right. Well, let's get right into it. What made you want to go into being a psychologist? So I always tell people that I wanted to be a psychologist since I was nine years old. And most people find that hard to believe. But my mom was an activity therapist and worked at a mental health hospital. And so I think she was my first role model. And then when I went to college, I remember taking my first exam in Psychology 101, and I didn't do very well. And so all of a sudden, I realized that this was bigger <laughs> than just being like my mom. And so um, throughout college, had some mentors and opportunities that really kind of led me into working in higher ed and specifically um, focusing on counseling psychology. That is what's up. And you you like working with us millennials. I love millennials. You love us. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people give us like a hard a hard rap because they don't understand us. But I feel like we instantly connected when I moved up here. I didn't look at you as like an older soul where I was just like, oh, that's joy. I'm like, millennial-ish. How about Millennial-ish, <laughs> yes. And millennial at heart. Definitely, definitely. So, Joy, uh, this is within my wheelhouse. I got a degree in psychology. So um, one of my first questions is, in regards to mental health, like, what is the current state and some trends that you see? So definitely with the coronavirus, I think <laughs> we're seeing a lot of uncertainty. And so for some people, that can be really unsettling. Um, and if you're already prone to feeling anxious or maybe even depressed, um, this mm. can really sort of move the meter in terms of sort of um, maybe struggling to manage some of that anxiety or depression. 
So I think, you know, on the one hand, we know that most people are probably feeling unsure. And on the other hand, for for some folks, this might be a good time to reach out, maybe get more support. Um, Because, again, we don't have a lot of answers. This isn't really something that we've ever faced, at least in my lifetime. Um, Another question is, like, do you is there a percentage of young black women um, that are facing certain issues or like what's some common issues that like someone like me or Sierra or around our age group might be suffering with? So I work a lot with emerging adults. So that could be 18 to 29. And then also thinking about millennials, which, again, if you think about that period from maybe 18 to 35, it's a lot of transition, a lot of change. So people are, I see smiles already. Um, (laughs) Yes, people are making lots of decisions. So when you're 18, I mean, honestly, I would say 18 to 35, you could be making career decisions, thinking about pressures about what's next in terms of not only what you're majoring in or what you're studying, but what you want to do long term. Also, a time about relationships. Mm. People are making decisions about dating, about having children, marriage, sort of next steps. Um, just lots of transitions, lots of change. People may be moving. If you think about starting college, graduating, moving to a new city, being in a new place. So lots of change, lots of uncertainty, and which can be really exciting. But for a lot of people, it can be uncomfortable and can be a little scary. And so I think that's really one of the main reasons um, people start to seek out therapy. I feel like you've been reading in my cell phone. <laughs> Was <laughs> I reading your journal? <laughs> everything that you just talked about are things that are going to come up throughout the season. Literally yeah. everything. Yeah. So, wow, we connected in the first day and here we are. We're reading each other's minds. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> But when she was talking about um, people starting to go out and seek help, Mm -hmm. I know you know what I've been through in the last few months, seven months. Um, I finally was like, okay, let me go find somebody. But then it's very discouraging when you're trying to find somebody to talk to and either they cost a lot of money, they don't take insurance, Mm -hmm. or they aren't accepting new patients. And if they are accepting new patients, it may be two, three weeks before you're even able to get in. So what do you say to those people that are they want help, but then they feel a little defeated? Like, what do you do? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really challenging, I think, to find, not only find help, but find a good fit. Because you may find someone Absolutely. and then oh, yeah. find that it's not quite as comfortable as you expected. Um, and there are some resources out there, but I think sometimes what happens, especially for people of color, Um, self-included, we may wait a little bit too late. Um, And so it can be good, I think, to start to look for help at the first sort of red flag or first warning. Sometimes, What would be a red flag? So, I mean, if you sort of notice maybe things are shifting in terms of your mood, uh, maybe you're feeling a little bit more irritable than normal, maybe you're not getting as much rest, Uh, could be your appetite is changing, you might be eating more, eating less, maybe you just can't concentrate. So things that are normally pretty easy for you to do take a longer amount of time. That's a good time to maybe check in as opposed to, you know, when you get to a place where you can't sleep at all, you can't eat at all, you can't make it to work. Um, And knowing, kind of like Sierra said, that there might be a wait um, to see someone, but it's a little bit easier to manage the two to three weeks then than it might be like when you're in the midst of the crisis. So I'm from a small town, so 
I moved to Atlanta and then I moved here to uh, Maryland and I didn't realize um, you have to wait for doctors. Yeah. You have to wait for a counselor. So mm-hmm. moving here, I knew um, that I would be going through a lot of changes. And so I tried to uh, go to a counselor here and I got one and I didn't really click with her that much. I mean, she was nice, but I asked her, I'm like, hey, can I uh, get more than one session a month? And she was like, no, you know, um, you're fine. Mm. A month is good. So then I, I, I waited another month and I met with her again and I said, okay, well, you know, hey, is it okay? Can I get another month? And she was like, nope, I'll talk to you next time. Click. So I do like video mm. chat with my, uh, the counselor that I had at the time. So I called my insurance company and they basically said it was up to the discretion of the counselor mm-hmm. uh, on how many sessions that I get. So I decided to switch counselors. And then um, my job needed me for something. And so I had to wait. Um, or cancel an appointment mm-hmm. and then they scheduled it one month out wow. so I waited that one month and then they called and canceled for the next month mm-hmm. so needless to say I still haven't seen a counselor but like I don't know what to do in that scenario it's not like anything is like wrong where I need to see someone but enough to where I'm like hey I'm going through a lot of changes you're just trying to, to get to. that, ch- that check-in yeah. right now yeah. instead of waiting until you get to the breaking point. Yeah, yeah. And it's very frustrating. because, And unfortunately, I hear that a lot, that people, when they finally make the decision, I do think it's a big decision. It takes a lot of courage to finally like reach out, seek help, and it can be really like defeating when you do that and then you still can't get what you want. Um, there are some, some ways or even resources that can help. Um, There's a resource called Therapy for Black Girls Mm -hmm. that actually lists um, therapists that are women of color sort of across the country. There's another really good one called The Shrink Space, um, which helps you find resources of people that are currently taking clients. Um, Because sometimes you might get look at a website and it may not be up to date. Um, Even something like Psychology Today, where you can search by not only by insurance, but by gender, race, expertise. Um, And I always say, like, I'm very quick to ask someone for a recommendation when I want to get my hair braided (laughs) or get my nails done. And so we also need to think about maybe asking people if they know someone or, you know, maybe they've gone to counseling before and they can help you find someone. Uh, Maybe even within your church. Um, I I know my pastor is very pro-mental health. He has a therapist. And so even thinking about resources within the faith community and eventually maybe as you're waiting to see a licensed professional, you might be able to get support some other way. So I think the, the goal is not to get so frustrated that you give up, but to really think about kind of weighing your options. Okay. Um, what are some things like we can look for for, um, for a counselor? Like I know me, I read the bio. I want to see where they went to school. Mm-hmm. I like to see a face. Because I want to see if they've seen If they look like you. We right. want them to look I, like us. I do want someone to look like me. Um, I've, I've been to people that haven't looked like me, and they were great. Um, I will say, I think I told you the story before, but I went to counseling like a long time ago before I ever moved. Um, and I was talking to the counselor about some of my uh, childhood, and she was like, oh, I really, you know, I really feel bad for you. And she was like, you're, you're going to make me cry. And mm. I know counselors aren't supposed to cry. Mm. And she was like, just the way that you are as an adult and what you've been through, I can't, you know, like that was a lot for her, right? I stopped going to her. Yeah, which is a good sign. I think that's like made a you made sign. the right call. Oh. <laughs> Not continuing to But you go. know why I stopped going to her? It was because she was blind. 
and she's never she could never see me and I felt like I'm like man if she feels bad for me and she's blind like I, you, didn't I want, didn't, you don't want someone looking in your I didn't eyes want sympathy I don't know I wanted I wanted validation mm-hmm. but I didn't want I wanted my counselor to be able to give me a, a salute I don't know some action steps to take mm-hmm. and I felt like if you feel sorry enough for me you feel like I don't know like I can handle it or you know I don't know it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot it's a lot. And I think you do want to go to a counselor that's pretty stable. Um, mm-hmm. So I always think about I wouldn't go to a dentist if they weren't going to the dentist or getting regular <laughs> cleanings. And so you want to make sure I always I would encourage people to make sure the person is licensed. Um, and there are a lot of people that may identify themselves as counselors, but may not be licensed mental health professionals or psychologists. Really? Yes. I didn't know that, I didn't know that yes. was a thing. Yeah, I mean, if you think, I mean, there are even some famous folks that are probably not licensed, but they have television shows and they give lots of advice. And so it can actually be sort of dangerous. Um, So, yeah, you want to make sure the person is licensed. You also want to make sure, again, when people are licensed, that means they have to get ongoing education and get Mm -hmm. a certain number of hours per year to kind of maintain their credentials. You also want to look at where they went to school. Is that place accredited? Again, there are some schools that um, provide degrees, but maybe not <laughs> accreditation. Um, so again, one, you want to be mindful of that. And also their areas of expertise. Um, you could have someone that's really good with depression or anxiety, but may not have experience with other areas. And so again, you, I would encourage people to ask, do you have experience working with black women and sort of kind of how might your approach with me look different than with someone else? And if they're not comfortable talking about race or gender, then that would be a red flag for me. Um, because again, how could they not sort of see that part of you and your race, your gender, how that might impact the reason that you're coming in? So I think generally, you also want to look at reviews. Sometimes people have oh, reviews yes. out there. That's true. I know I look at I Yelp look at when I go to restaurants and other places. <laughs> so again, I think sometimes that can also help too with word of mouth. So there's some things that can help. Um, The other thing, and this might not be as popular, but I would also encourage you to give the person maybe more than one session (laughs) before you make a decision. I gave my last person two. Yeah. Is that enough? I gave Mm. them two. If I'm paying. Well, it was free, but I gave them two. Both sessions are free? Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah. But if you really need help, I'll say maybe two Maybe right. one depends on what help you need. If you are okay, but you know you can wait a little bit longer. Three, I feel like three is like three I, is reasonable. Yeah. But I think it's part of it is that sometimes you feel worse before you feel better. And so if you're going to counseling and talking about things that are difficult or um, you know make you feel sad or upset, you might not leave the first time and things are better. So if mm-hmm. you've been struggling with something for years, it may not get better in two or three sessions. So it may take time. Yeah, yeah. So again, I mean, you want to be comfortable with the person. You want to make sure they're competent, that they're present. They're not on the phone while you're in the session. Scrolling. (laughs) Yeah, you have their full attention because, again, I've heard stories. Um, But, you, yeah, you also want to be realistic with your own expectations. Um, And there are people that I've worked with for short-term counseling, people I work with for long-term counseling. It just really is, um, you know, sometimes it just takes a little bit more time than we think. It's not like going to a medical, um, your primary care doctor, who might give you a, a you know, prescription and you feel better the next week. Sometimes these things just take time to figure out. 
But I like the way that you said you kind of like interview them in a way. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you going to work with me? Yeah. What can you bring to me? I didn't didn't think to do that. But. Yeah, ask them what's their approach and what's their experience like. I mean, we interview people before we go on dates. We do some Google searches. I I don't do that. I'm going to see I'm bad. I mean, you may may check some things out. I I like being analytical and I like the seeing what I can find out about you without you telling me. So you look them up? You look a guy up? Oh, I will. I haven't. I've been on dates and I was like, man, I should have really looked this person mm-hmm. up. Sometimes <laughs> you should. <laughs> um, but I'm going to start. Uh-huh. But I like to meet people in person and I like to say, hmm, okay. I can, I'm major psychology, so I'm, I'm pretty much like reading people. The everything. Yes, everything. Um, I do have another question. Us being uh, black women, and I know for me, the first time I ever went to counseling, and I haven't been that many times. Let me clarify. I've said <laughs> I haven't been that many times. But um, <laughs> I know when I went to tell my dad, he was mm-hmm. kind of like, why are you going to counseling? What did you need to go to counseling for? You know, even knowing my background, even knowing what I've been through as a kid and stuff like that, it was more so like, um, you can go to, to church and mm-hmm. talk to your pastor. But again, I'm from a small town, so they think you can just walk up to the pastor and say, hey, come talk to me. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess what advice would you give someone who needs to talk to their parent, who loves their parents, want them to buy into counseling? I know for me... I was just kind of like, I'm doing this. And then I just kept talking to my parent about it, my dad specifically about it. And then eventually he bought into it. Mm-hmm. But what if someone really is like, I'm struggling, but my parent is like, no, you can't like go to the preacher. Don't go to counseling. How what can that person you? do? How old were you? Uh, I might've been like ooh, early twenties, early, their early twenties. Yeah. Well, I mean, on the one hand, I think it's great if they buy into it. And on the other hand, especially if you're talking early 20s or even, I mean, in Maryland, over 16, you don't necessarily have to get them to buy in or have their permission in order to seek help. So working with college students, I know that for many of them, they've been waiting to have an opportunity to go to counseling and not have to maybe worry about their parents getting involved or using their parents' insurance Um, And even for people beyond that age, it may be something that you just choose not to share with everyone. Um, I know that there's certainly been times when I've gone to counseling and people have known other times when they haven't known. Mm -hmm. Um, And it doesn't really change the outcome because if your goal is for you in terms of getting better, your own self-care, people may buy in when they see you're getting better. And so maybe that's sort of what they might need to actually sort of think about counseling as beneficial or helpful. But I wouldn't let that prevent you you know necessarily from going and again i think sometimes even when you get when you look at churches or sort of even some of the messages from the pulpit about seeking help that honestly made a difference for me in terms of where i decided to join a church i wouldn't feel comfortable going to a church where they don't think that um therapy is of god because you know god i'm a christian and i'm a psychologist we do exist so i'd actually want to find a pastor that has a therapist and is not sort of trying to overstep and provide therapy Mm -hmm. um maybe even a pastor that knows when to take a sabbatical or rest so less less like good (laughs) modeling right so yeah yeah so i think it's just really important important that you may unfortunately people may not always buy in uh the i will say too that i have worked with people and even um millennials late 30s folks 
that will actually bring a family member into the session. So not necessarily family therapy per se, but sometimes it makes a difference. If that person can sort of see the psychologist, see who they're working with, that then they may have a different idea. They might be picturing Dr. Phil and not necessarily <laughs> me. Um, and so I think that can also help people kind of sell therapy to their family members or maybe even you know if they're in a relationship, um, be able to sell it to their partner. So as you're talking about selling it to, you know, their family and their partners, when you're in college, how do you, I went through college, I didn't know anything about any type of service, and I don't know if we just didn't have it back in 2004 to 2008 in North Carolina, but I didn't know anything about that. I knew career services, Mm -hmm. financial aid, sports, like that was it. Yeah. So where do students get that information so, I'll, you know, when I first moved to Maryland, my first job was at Morgan State University in their counseling center. So at a historically black college, that's, I mean, counseling services are there. So sometimes we just don't know. Yeah, we don't but know. They exist. I would say most college counseling centers, especially in 2020, offer some kind of services or resources, even in community colleges. And so most of the services are free, which is also a bonus. Mm. I wish that I had gone to counseling <laughs> when I was an undergrad, um, because as part of what I think the problem is, is that often people worry about the cost or using insurance. And most college counseling centers don't require that. So you get maybe a certain number of sessions for academic year. And even if you are a graduate student, those, those services are available. Mm. So yeah, I would encourage people to look, or if some of the millennials that are listening are parents or have younger siblings to encourage them to go um, because it really is more convenient I think than when you're trying to find um, counseling and you're working full time or doing other things and then also it may be good to start like when you're in college and then when you become an adult like you've already got that that rhythm you're already you know on the right path and it's not like oh wait now I have a crisis I got to find somebody right you have learned all these tools throughout your years yeah. from your um, psychologist. Just think about how your life might be different if you had seen someone your first year of college, maybe your senior year. There's maybe a lot throughout. of decisions I wouldn't have made. Right, right. <laughs> Probably. So it does set the tone. And I think counseling, too, is something that we have to think about is maybe it is something you do at various points in your life that just because you go one time doesn't mean that you're cured. Mm. Just like you go see your primary care doctor, you see your dentist, you see your hairstylist, right? You don't just stop going because your hair looked good one time, right? So I think we just have to be mindful of like reasons to go so that we're not sort of waiting until it's too late. Yeah. Can I know it's kind of later in the episode, but can you uh, give us a definition of mental health? Mm. Um, I think it's for me, mental health is sort of associated with self-care and like we just like we need to take care of our physical body in terms of what we eat, what we drink, exercise. We need to take care of our mind. And so giving ourselves permission to rest, um, giving ourselves permission to connect, giving ourselves permission to to be uncertain or feel what we're feeling, because sometimes I think we have to we get messages, especially as black women, Mm -hmm. that we have to be strong. We have to take care of other people. And so I think the the best kind of self-care is um, if you can take care of yourself, I think you're more likely to be able to be available to other people. So if we were all practicing self-care, I think we'd see a lot of changes in our relationships and our families and maybe even in our lifespan. I think people would live just a little bit longer Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe sort of connect a little bit better. You know, one thing for my mental health that I've 
recently instituted for myself, I'm gonna start taking mental health days. Amen. From work. Yeah. Because work is, is real stressful. And I told myself this years ago, I'm like, you know, what? I'm gonna do it once a month. I have so much sick leave. Mm-hmm. I might as well. But I haven't. And last Thursday, I sure did. I woke <laughs> up in the morning. I said, I just cannot do it today. Yeah. I can't. So I just called. I was like, uh, I'm not feeling too good. Yeah. I'm not gonna be able to make it in today. I didn't call it a mental health day, mm-hmm. but. That's, That's what essentially it was. what it was yeah. because I just knew if I, by that Thursday, like Friday, I would have spazzed on somebody because yeah. it's just, I was almost at that breaking point of the stress of work and I just needed that day to just sit at home and just do a, a face mask and mm-hmm. lay on my couch and watch old episodes of a guilty pleasure show that I'm not going to say, but mm. it comes on Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you do have to schedule mental health days. I had a mentor years ago when I first started in counseling and she did once a month. We knew she was out. <laughs> um, and I think, and she's still in the field and that's probably why, because she was taking those mental health days. And so I don't think we need to be ashamed or even be like shy about it. I I feel like that should be the norm like it especially when you think about other countries people take siestas businesses close early things shut down and that's just not the norm here but that doesn't mean that it can't be in five ten years from now i think um, for, for me on my 30th birthday i went to cancun and i realized like i worked that whole year probably two years and never took a break my job at the time they really didn't give pto you get like ask for time off but there was no pto time so i felt Which like is personal time off right yes thank you um so I, I just didn't um feel like i could take time off and so i realized that i was just overworking myself for no mm-hmm. reason and just i don't know why i just had this workaholic mentality and so eventually um i started incorporating a balance so now like i might leave my computer at work I may yes. just go leave work on time and then I don't think about work. I kind of don't want to talk to anybody from work. Um, so those are my clear boundaries. And I feel like that's been really helpful for me. And I love that you use the word boundaries because I think that's what really mental health is all about is being able to set boundaries, set limits, even if it is like just making a decision that you're not going to check your email when you're not at work or that you're going to leave on time. There's even a lot of research about happiness and habits of happy people. Happy people actually use their vacation time so they don't leave it on the table. So Mm -hmm. it's almost like they are looking forward to or sort of have the anticipation of the vacation that kind of lifts their mood. And then when they take the vacation, they come back with memories, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can hold on to memories much longer than you can hold on to a bag or some shoes or, or something else. <laughs> and so it's sort of like that idea that the happiness meter keeps going up when you do things like that as opposed to when you don't. But then the only thing about that is when you come back from the trip, you got to plan another one. So yes, you have you something do. else to look forward to. And you guys wonder why I'm always going somewhere. No, I don't wonder. I want to go with, with me. You. Right. <laughs> Like, are you in town? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, So do you have anything else right now? I I was going to ask a question that's personal to me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not happening as much right now because everyone's focused on Corona. Mm -hmm. But when there was all the the shootings that were happening of the unarmed black um, men and women, Mm -hmm. I would have to go to work like the next day. Right. And... I think that that kind of does mess with your mental health because you have to act like nothing changed and there's 
a lot of people that look like the officers at work. Mm -hmm. And then there's you and they they're talking to you like nothing happened. And deep down, you're like, yo, like my my black community, like we're suffering right now. This is happening over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So when they say they tell you to bring your best self to work or your whole self to work, but you can't always do that. You've got to keep some things into yourself. What do you say to the millennials who may be experiencing things like that right now where stuff is hitting them really hard in their community at home, but they've got to go to class or, you know, they have to go to work Mm -hmm. and they have to look at people like nothing happened and keep a smile on their face when really they don't feel like smiling. Yeah, there was a hashtag a couple years ago um, that was racial trauma is real. It is real. I think when I think about we often see things, and especially with social media, we can get inundated with those images and seeing things over and over. And there are people that look like us or look like our brothers, our sisters, our moms, our dads. And it can be really overwhelming. And I think it's um, unrealistic for us to go in and act as if nothing is happening. And so sometimes people will encourage you to kind of set some limits, right, in terms of how much exposure you get, uh, whether it's on social media or watching the news, maybe even limiting the time you spend, um, but also having support. So whether there are people at work or outside of work that you can talk to, be yourself, Um, Because I think we also experience a lot of microaggression. So, you know, there could be things happening in the news and then we go to work (laughs) and people are doing things that are just a little shady. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it can be hard to interpret, like, did they say that because I was black, because I was a woman, was it some other reason? And so when you have people you can kind of check in with, I think it makes a difference so that you're not alone. Right. (laughs) And go to work. Yeah. Yeah, I remember watching the Sandra Bland um, documentary on HBO and feeling like I needed to take a mental health day the next day. Because, I mean, it's real. Like, that could easily have been Anybody, yeah. any of us. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's also important in times like that that you are probably even more intentional about your self-care. So are you sleeping? Like, are you, are you eating? Are you getting outside? Are you, like, taking some time for yourself? Maybe even, and again, this might sound strange, but just like exploring your relationship with silence, right? So so often we get rewarded for doing more than one thing at a time, multitasking. What would it be like to just sit and breathe for a couple minutes? Thank you for bringing that up because a lot of people, I found that they do not like to be alone or can't sit within themselves, mm-hmm. which is weird. Um, I found it weird. It might not be weird to other people. Because you're, you're an introvert. I am an introvert, but I have extrovert tendencies. Like, right. I'll go a week, and I'm around people every day, and I'm like, oh, no, I need one day by myself. Mm-hmm. And so um, is there something to be said for people who do not like to be alone? I think that's a lot of people. I mean, it's normal and natural, just like it is for folks that like need that time to kind of regroup. Um, but I think sometimes we need to think about what is it that makes us uncomfortable about being alone. Um, and sometimes we're so busy, we don't really have time to think about why we do the things that we do. So I would encourage people to even think about how they might develop a meditation practice or even just practicing mindfulness, meaning just being present in what you do. So it could be as something as simple as brushing your teeth. Like hopefully people are brushing their <laughs> teeth every day. Um, but instead of thinking about what you have to do next or what happened the night before or what your day is going to be like, 
what would it be like just to focus on how it feels to hold the toothbrush That's and awesome. what the water feels like or the toothpaste tastes like and like as a way of sort of slowing things down because again it could be driving it could be washing dishes it could just be paying attention to sort of what it's like to walk from your car to the building wherever you're headed because again i think oftentimes we're just doing too, too much, much right thinking about the next step yeah and that's when people get anxious so a lot of times when people experience anxiety they're thinking about what has happened what, what could, could happen as mm-hmm. opposed to just being which again i think doesn't cost a lot right to just be present yeah. here's a question um do you think there is a such thing as too much self-care I'm a little biased, uh, so I'm probably going to say no. Um, but I think, I guess if your self-care is interfering with your responsibilities, but again, I, for me, self-care could be as simple as just getting rest. So I know I look a little bit different and act a little different if I get seven to eight hours of sleep as opposed to if I get less. So again, it doesn't cost me anything to sleep, right? Um, so, but if someone's sleeping 12 hours, that there might be some consequences, right? Um, so I don't know if it, again, if it's too much, but if it's interfering. And so I think we also have to look at how we define self-care. Because for me, that might be rest, like doing things I'm interested in. Like right now, basketball is gone. That's a struggle for me, right? Um, but finding things that are like pleasurable interests. But if you love to travel, and you can't stop traveling and all of a sudden you've maxed out your credit cards or you can't afford it, maybe that's too much (laughs) self-care. Like you might need to look at other ways, but I think it is kind of maybe thinking about things is not in terms of extremes, but kind of what's gonna keep you stable and steady. That's good. Um, Well, you said basketball. Mm. You know, we've been to many a games together, Mm -hmm. flew all the way across the country to go see LeBron play the Cavs in LA this yeah. January. January. The beginning of January. That was that was a fun trip. Mm-hmm. And LeBron is the GOAT. Just want to put that out there. I will actually agree. I was not, I was a LeBron fan, but seeing him in real life, it's a whole different Something experience. Different. Yeah. And seeing him in the Staples Center, it was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But because the Staples Center to me, being from Arizona, the Staples Center meant Kobe. Because yeah. we couldn't get past them in any type of playoff situation. Mm-hmm. We had to beat L.A. or Utah. L.A. always beat us. So that's what I think of when I think about the Staples Center. And it was very difficult to hear about Kobe. Yeah. And I know that the NBA world, the entire world, mourned Kobe. Mm-hmm. But one thing I noticed is that a lot of the athletes really were vulnerable and you saw them cry. You saw mm-hmm. them post things. I still see Allen Iverson. He'll throw yeah. something up there. And I'm like, you know, I loved AI growing up. Me I was too. a baller. I don't look like it now, but I was a little point point guard back in the day. So he was my favorite player. And to see that he's still struggling, it. I know they're all human. Mm-hmm. They have superhuman basketball abilities, but right. they are really human. And it's it's nice to see it, but it's like, are we seeing it now because it's just because it's Kobe? Or is it something that people are finally opening up about their own mental health in general and now we're seeing it posted? Yeah, I think it's both. I mean, I think Kobe is just someone that 
in some ways, maybe I feel like everybody grew up with. He's mm-hmm. a household name. And even after he retired, seeing him with his daughter, I think people just really appreciated that relationship. And so for him to die like so suddenly, tragically, I don't think anybody would have anticipated that was a loss for the country, like mm-hmm. for the nation. I mean, really, even just beyond the country, mm-hmm. sort of the world. And I also think that it probably triggered um, reactions in other people that may have been grieving. So if you've lost someone else or a recent loss, I think, again, not only are you maybe grieving Kobe, but thinking about those other losses you might have experienced. Um, And so I I do think in in some ways people like AI or LeBron, like so many NBA players, Um, had to sort of deal with that in the public eye. And I think it really kind of opened our eyes to maybe seeing them vulnerable. And we Mm -hmm. don't always see people like, like like especially Allen Iverson (laughs) or um, a LeBron James, even Shaq, like people that had complicated relationships with Kobe. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we don't always see them being vulnerable. So I think that like brought up a lot of well, just a lot of um, feelings and people were almost given permission to feel them because of the magnitude of the loss. On the other hand, I also feel like there are some NBA players um, more recently within the last couple of years that have also come out about struggling with depression, mm-hmm. anxiety. So Kevin Love, who played mm-hmm. with the 2016 <laughs> world champion, Cleveland Cavaliers, you had, to, say had that. to throw that in. <laughs> okay. um, but he's had a pretty public campaign about dealing with anxiety to the point where he had to leave games and people were unsure sort of what was happening. Um, there was another player um, that played for to- the Toronto Raptors that kind of had similar struggles. So the NBA, prior to Kobe's death, had made moves to kind of make sure that players had access to psychologists and mental health treatment. But it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. These are, a lot of the NBA players are emerging adults, millennials. Mm -hmm. They're making big decisions, have a lot of pressure. So it might not be on the magnitude of sort of what we might experience financially, but just think about what it'd be like to sort of be expected to win a championship or expected to score a certain amount of points, get a certain amount of rebounds every night. And you're like 23 years old. Right. They're young. And you're getting millions of dollars at 19. Like I'm thinking about someone (laughs) like Zion Williamson, like in New Orleans, who all of a sudden after one year in college is expected to like carry a team. A whole team on his back. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So I feel like they feel pressure just like we do. And so I think it's important that they, in some ways, maybe they can help other athletes or other people just know that you're not alone if you're struggling or you don't have to sort of struggle by yourself so I I think the NBA was moving in that direction but um, losing Kobe I think really um, maybe brought some people to light that weren't public Mm -hmm. in terms of feeling their feelings um, which I actually think will be helpful as they move forward and I also, I, w- I wonder, like, within the next few months, if it's going to, there's going to be a trend of more or men mm-hmm. that are going to seek help just because they're seeing, you know, the person they look up to right, finally opening up. So. I hope so. I mean, because I do feel like there are, I mean, just 
the research and just, you know, anecdotally, I think more women seek mm-hmm. help than men. Um, but there are a lot of men and even men of color that are providing counseling services. Some of them are even going into the barber shops and going into the locker room. So it doesn't always have to be in the traditional way mm-hmm. that we think about it. But I think when people have like the public eye and can really advocate, it makes a huge difference for maybe the person that's kind of on the fence knowing that someone like LeBron practices mindfulness or meditates, Mm -hmm. that might make them a little bit more willing to consider it. Or, you know, if you know your pastor has a therapist, you probably are going to consider that again, um, as opposed to if you have someone telling you don't go to therapy. Yeah. Okay. um, So I don't know how to segue from that, but um, can you just give us like some low cost? So we're not millionaires. We don't have a lot of money. (laughs) Can you just tell us some ways we can do self-care or, um, you know, some effective ways for self-care on a low budget? For sure. Because I think, well, the, the biggest one I would say is sleep or sleep hygiene. Um, people get paid just to research our sleep. And so I think if you can try to develop a routine that kind of allows you to get between seven to nine hours of sleep um, and just notice if that makes a difference. I know you're already looking at each other. Oh, like, I do that because, I mean, I don't go to sleep until like midnight, but I uh-huh. I go to work late. So okay. I make sure I get my hours in. You get okay. your seven. I get them in. You're seven and I nine. I do. Okay. I get eight. Okay. <laughs> so um, mine is a little bit... Sometimes I get a lot of sleep and then then I go some weeks and I don't get enough, but I try. And I think, you know, people will even think about ways that they can kind of get into a regular routine. So if you have a set time that you can go to sleep every night or a set time you wake up, even on the weekends, maybe even thinking about what you do before you go to sleep. And so, again, there's research about what happens with the blue light on our phone, Mm -hmm. um, reserving your bed for sleep and sex and the sort of not work or school or other things. You don't really want to be on your laptop in bed. Um, even just thinking about your eating habits. So it may just be making sure you eat three meals a day and that, you know, as much as you can trying to have healthy meals because that also impacts your mood. I would say in times like this with the coronavirus and we're all supposed to be doing our social distancing and kind of um, staying away, seeing if you can just get outside, like to get some physical activity or exercise. So it may not be what you normally do, but making sure, especially um, again, as the seasons are changing, that you get some daylight hours in. Um, also limiting your technology use. And so again, that might be unpopular, um, especially with emerging adults or millennials. But I'll say that a lot of the clients that I work with that kind of have like investigated their relationship with um, technology (laughs) or social media tend to feel a little bit more confident and at ease. And so it's not to say you it's all or nothing, but maybe putting some limits on how often you use it or where you use it and just seeing what that looks like because none of those things cost money. Um, and so, again, I think they could be subtle ways to kind of shift how you take care of yourself but make really big, have a really, the potential to have a big difference. So I fasted from social media before and that was helpful. Um, I've gotten a weighted blanket I oh, try I to I spray like uh, lavender sleep spray sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's a little helpful. Um, I do have a little, should I tell you guys, I have a little nightlight. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, sometimes that's helpful. Yeah. But <laughs> I have a nightlight. It's the kind that's supposed to pull out the negative ions. I'm nice. I don't have, I'm not that fancy. You can get that at, at Lowe's. 
Okay. Yeah, it doesn't but cost much. Setting up your room as a like place a for relaxation, yeah. right? Yeah. A place you feel comfortable. So you actually look forward to going to bed or going to sleep. It makes a difference. So I, I like that you mentioned like the lavender or the essential oils. Because a lot of times, again, we take those things for granted. So even things that you can do to maybe involve all of your senses kind of goes back to the mindfulness. So paying attention to what you can see, what you can hear, what you can smell. Those are things you can do before bed, but they could also be good during the day. So if you have a little lavender, rosemary, some other scent, maybe that helps you from going not going off on your coworker or that person that's getting on your nerves. <laughs> Um, but again, just giving yourself permission to kind of take those little breaks. Um, and it could be in terms of how you get to sleep or how you rest, but it could be things you're doing during the day. And I'm trying to get into meditation a little bit. Um, I know it's been difficult. Just like one minute, I'm good. Three minutes, I'm good. Around about five minutes, I'm like, hmm, I really don't feel like sitting here. So yeah. I guess it's progression and I'll get used to it. So yeah. I'm trying to get into that a little bit i'm glad you said that because that's pretty normal okay. when, you're, when you're starting to do meditation so i'm actually certified now to teach something called koru mindfulness and meditation oh, nice. bring, i meant to bring that up um but it's for specifically for emerging adults or at least that's how it was designed and so they actually offer meditation at like 10 minute intervals because it can be really hard to sit for 30 minutes 60 minutes especially when you're just starting so we often talk about it like building your mindfulness muscles. So just like if you start training for a marathon, you probably aren't running as fast the first week as you are the second or the third. And so it's like the more you practice, maybe you notice next, if you practice for 10 minutes this week, Maybe the first week you're getting distracted after the first minute or the third, but maybe the second week you're going a little bit longer. You might start to look for a 15-minute mm -hmm. meditation or 20-minute. So I think it's like also giving yourself permission um, to get distracted because that's what happens. Our minds wander. It's normal. Yes, our thoughts, are. that's just what our brains do. So if you actually notice that, you're practicing mindfulness. So if you notice your thoughts have wandered away from your breath or the meditation, mm. Just kind of pat yourself on the back like, okay, I noticed that. I'm being mindful. <laughs> Come back and then start over. And so I think it is like being a little bit more gentle and kind with yourself. So you may find that there's some days you feel really distracted. So maybe you need to pause and attend to whatever it is that's distracting you. And other days you might find that you get through the 10 minutes and you feel energized. So I think it is kind of just thinking about it as like building building your mindfulness muscle. So, sorry. One thing you've said during this podcast that stuck out to me personally was permission, like give yourself yes. permission, like it's okay, certain feelings to feel them, give yourself permission to, you know, try different things or mm -hmm. um, take off work for take mental health Take off work day. for yes. mental health day. Yes. Like that's good because oftentimes I know as black women or, you know, in general, we sometimes are hard on ourselves and don't want to give mm -hmm. ourselves like credit or, you know, the ability to re rest and relax. So yes. Relax, awesome. relate, release. Yes. That's like my favorite mm -hmm. different world episode. <laughs> uh, but kind of like what you said, though, your feelings are your feelings. They're not right or wrong. So what you do with them could lead to very different <laughs> consequences. Right. But if you're angry, you're angry. Anger is not a bad or good emotion. If you're sad, you're sad. Um, but I think sometimes we get messages maybe from our childhood, from society about what's considered appropriate or not, but your feelings are your feelings. So I think sometimes when 
you tune into them, you can they can actually be informative, help you make decisions, help you to feel better. So I think when we try to kind of push them away, ignore them, act like they don't exist, they don't really go away. Um, and they can build up and start to come out in ways that aren't really productive. So I think if you're maybe tuning in and being a little bit more gentle and kind, you might see a different result. I don't know if you listen to Malik, what she says, feelings aren't facts. So I've been... Mm. Replaying that, that? Malik, Malik, Teal. Okay. Feelings aren't facts. Yes. Yeah. They fluctuate and they're fluid and they vary. But I mean, again, they're your feelings. So I think that there's a really good meditation that people can listen to that can be 10 minutes or 20. It's called a loving kindness meditation. But it's really an opportunity to kind of just tune in to that part of you that maybe needs to take care of yourself a little bit better. Because, again, I think as black women, we're often very good at taking care of other people. So what would happen if we were just a little bit more loving and kind to ourselves? Can we find this on yeah. YouTube? I was about to ask you, where do you find that? Yeah. So I would. there's a really good one on the on the Koru Mindfulness website, and it's a free um, website. You, like you can listen to it. Yeah, it's like, a free meditation. K-O-R-U. Um, there's also something called Insight Timer, which is an app that's free, and you can actually go on the app and decide how long you want to meditate. So if you have five minutes, 10, 20, you can find the meditation for you, and probably on YouTube. I mean, if you Google loving kindness, lots of things will come up, but again, if you want <laughs> something that are kind of backed by science or research, tried and true, those are some good places to try. There's also one called Liberate, which is actually for people of color, um, and so again, addresses issues around racial trauma, microaggressions, things like that. That one is also free. So I'd say if people are thinking about what's one thing I can start or try today, why not just listen to a guided meditation and just see what you notice. It's not there's not a right or wrong way to do it, mm -hmm. but it's more about tuning in to kind of what what happens when you are listening. Yeah, that's awesome. That is. Thank you. Thank you. Like just the part when you said when you're brushing your teeth, yes. like feeling the toothbrush, feeling the water, tasting the toothpaste, like yeah. you don't even think about that stuff. You're right. always like, okay, what time is it? I got to get out of here. But that's what I'm going to do that tonight. Yeah. And even, tomorrow morning. Even if you think about taking a shower, that's another good way to practice oh, mindfulness. That is my, that's my outlet. Yeah. Long showers. Yeah. Taking a walk where you, again, maybe aren't listening to music, where you're not on your phone. Um, and just tuning in to maybe what you can hear when you're walking, what you can see, even paying attention to things that are different in your neighborhood, right? I remember Sierra was telling me about her neighbor's tree and how it had leaves. Oh. I thought, oh, have I noticed if my tree <laughs> has leaves, yeah. right? So just yeah. thinking about slowing down. So I'm so quick to back out the garage and get going <laughs> instead of maybe looking around and noticing, right? So again, it makes a huge difference, I think, when we just kind of can slow down. Um, and again, research suggests we're probably more productive when we practice mindfulness. And even in terms of re like relationships, romantic ones, couples that practice mindfulness tend to have better communication and feel a little bit more connected. Um, this is just kind of segues into the next question, kind of. Um, so I know with your profession, you get all kind of things coming at you left and right. Mm -hmm. People with different questions, people going through different things and it can be hard mm -hmm. so tell us some ways that you practice self-care yeah so i think one of the biggest things i do is yoga um so i make sure that's on my schedule at least twice a week sometimes one class is probably more active and moving 
which mm-hmm. Sierra has oh, participated in. Oh, that's the one I went in. to? Yes. Oh, man. And then another one that's it's more hard. like restorative, kind of relaxing. Um, I also just make time to do things I like to do. Like I love to, I love music. So if I haven't gone to a concert in a while, like I, I notice that, right? So I put those things on my schedule. Um, I mentioned basketball is a big one. Like not just watching, but like actually going to the games. Um, even things like just staying connected with my family, making sure I have time uh, for them and friends, uh, community service, which again, people might not always associate with self-care, but there's also a lot of research going back to like habits of happy people. There's actually a longer lifespan for people that volunteer on a regular basis versus people that don't. So there's something about like giving of yourself that makes a difference. And the other thing I'll say that, again, is not always as popular is I'm really good at saying no. And so um, (laughs) no is like my final answer (laughs) and there's no explanation. Like I can't do everything or be there for everybody. And so I'm pretty good at setting limits Um, and also saying yes to things I enjoy, like things for me. Things that are pleasurable to the point where you could lose track of time when you were doing them. So that, I mean, that could be many things for many people, but it's kind of like the idea of you get into a flow and it's like, oh, you look up and maybe an hour has passed. And so I would say, say yes to those things and mm-hmm. maybe say no to things that you feel like overextend you or, or leave you feeling really exhausted or tired. I think you dropped a lot of gems on this podcast. Um, we definitely... Um, want to leave one positive vibe here and it's basically a quote that I read recently and it's every storm runs out of rain mm. so I just want to leave everyone with that if they're ever going through anything it'll pass um, but with that we do want to say thank you for joining thank us you. I feel like this is an excellent first guest yeah, I won't say it's the best episode but it's the best episode because it's the first one and <laughs> I feel like you did a great job first thank you so much first in the finest right yes <laughs> <laughs> I almost did it. I wasn't going to do it in the mic, but we mm. are the first and the finest. Okay. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yes, thank you. We are so thankful that you're here and we may be tapping on you again because when you were talking about couples and doing the mindfulness, mm-hmm. I need to hear more about that. I mean, I'm single, but I might need to tap on you for that. Okay. People yeah. May. Yes, definitely yeah. come back. We have a lot more questions (laughs) if we didn't ask enough this episode. And thank you. I want to just give you both a shout out for talking about mental health, especially on your first episode, because I think it sort of sets the tone in terms of self-care and loving yourself and all that black girl magic stuff. Um, And so I'm just glad that you're willing because you never know who's listening or who kind of might hear this and that might make a difference in terms of them being on the fence about reaching out or maybe someone that's been like anti-counseling in the past maybe they can hear something that you all said or i've said and that might be the the sort of the push that they need to reconsider so that would be awesome can you uh tell people where we can find you you can find you me. Can, you can find her on our, our website. Yeah. All right. On, on our website. website. That's great. You can um, send us some messages right right directly. DM us um the Real Play Podcast on IG. And if you have any questions, we will definitely take them. We'll get the answers for you and we'll get right back. Yeah, please leave us a review, comment, subscribe to this podcast. We'll love to hear from you. And with that. We're out. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Bye.
Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on all social media platforms at The Real Play Podcast. We would love to hear from you, so leave us a comment, DM, or voice note. And don't forget to come hang out with us on our next episode.